so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. You're listening to Uncommon Thinking, a podcast from Advertising Week. In this episode, from our What Matters series presented with Meta, we'll explore how Instagram is a powerful vehicle for all creators to expand their reach, including creators of color who often struggle to receive the recognition they deserve. Learn how advertisers can better engage with the creators who are really driving creativity. Hello, everyone. And welcome to What Matters, a content series produced by Facebook in partnership with Advertising Week and Stillwell Partners. My name is Alvin Bowles. I'm the Vice President of Global Marketing uh, Partnerships uh, at Facebook, and I'm excited to moderate a wonderful discussion. In this episode, we'll be exploring how Instagram is a powerful vehicle for all creators to expand their reach and even earn income. But creators of color have often struggled to receive the recognition that they deserve. Although... They're the ones who create the content. And we all know that as you get younger, you often get browner in this country. And that content goes viral, but a lot of times without real, real attribution to the partners that are actually creating this content. We want to understand how advertisers can better engage with these creators that are actually driving the creativity in this industry and what creators should be thinking about and how we, like our platform and others, can be better partners and platforms for this. But for let me let me get out of the way and introduce our panelists or allow them to introduce themselves. But I'm just thrilled to be joined by this esteemed panel who I'll ask each of them to introduce themselves. We'll start with Ty. Hi, I'm Ty Randolph. I am Chief Operating Officer for two of Kevin Hart's companies, Laugh Out Loud and Heartbeat Productions. I also co-founded um, a media company with actress and producer Tika Sumter called Sugarberry, which is a brown mom's guide to the sweet life. Happy to be here. Nice. Sharon? Hi, everyone. I'm Sharon Leitoni. I'm Director of Digital Marketing Agencies at Fiverr. I've also co-founded, I'm sorry, not co-founded, I founded a company <laughs> called SLT Consulting, which is a digital marketing collective that Fiverr eventually acquired. Um, and I also co-host a podcast called Modern Minorities as well. Wonderful. Welcome. Everett? Hey, what's going on, everybody? <laughs> going on, everybody? My name is Everett Taylor. I currently serve as CMO of Artsy, um, which is the world's largest marketplace for discovering, buying, and selling art. Um, our mission is really to expand the art market and to support more art and artists around the world. I'm really happy to be here. Wonderful. And last but certainly not least, Mian Mano. Stephen, please. Thank you, Alvin, for having us. And uh, hello, everyone on the Zoom. Stephen Wolf-Pereira, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Encantos. We are a global creator platform bringing creators that we call story teachers to help kids learn 21st century skills. Wonderful. Uh, it's great to meet, uh, not meet, bring all of you all together. I need to know each of you. Uh, but I first wanted to just sort of level set on what we mean by creators. Um, how do you define creators and what's the role of the creator in the current landscape that you have? I'd love to start with you, Sharon, just so we sort of level set sort of what are we talking about when we say creators? Sure. I think a lot of times when we think about creators, we think about influencers, right? So 
I follow a bunch of them on Instagram, love them dearly. Um, but most of the time we, when we think about them, we're thinking about people that are representing brands or products. Um, but especially at Fiverr, when we think about creators, we're, we're thinking about graphic designers. We're thinking about videographers. We're thinking about artists. We're thinking about podcast producers. So really it's anyone who has a creative set that enjoys sharing their skills with the world and who can monetize that uh, their creative ability or share it uh, in that way. That makes sense. And so ever do you do you share that same definition as we think through this? I think you're right. Bring calling out, Sharon, the notion of influencers aren't always creators. They're sometimes synonyms, but in many cases, they're actually not. And so I'd love to, to, to think about how you think about this based on your business model. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it more better than Sharon. That was that was a really great definition of creators. I think creators is something that is expansive in de definition. Um, we live in a world today where anybody can be a creator. The internet has made being able to create and monetize your talents, your gifts, your creativity, your ideas. I see everyone from entrepreneurs to artists to musicians to comedians everyone is a creator. If you have access to the digital world and you can create something, like even if you're someone who's creating t-shirts and selling them, like to me, I still think that's a creator. So I have a very kind of broad definition of creator. And that's why, you know, it's great to be on this call because I think it expands so much from just, not just what we traditionally think of creators, but just anyone right now that's really trying to monetize their gifts, their talents or their creativity. I'm going to push you just a little bit on that. So we talk about, you know, this notion of attribution. And I think that, you know, we talk about influencers and then, you know, and creators and where that level of attribution should go. And so I started thinking through this. So I want to put a finer point on this. As you start to think through Ty, you're dealing with a huge personality in Kevin Hart. He's a celebrity, he's an A-lister and what have you. Um, but he's also a creator as well. And I think that that's part of where your the Laugh Out Loud network allows there to be both the celebrity aspect, but also other individuals that are dealing with this. How do you make sure that your content isn't taken and then attributed to somewhere else where it's monetized? It's like this notion of protecting intellectual property. Wow, that was a, that, that's a really complex question in this ecosystem. And um, but, but you're brilliant. So I know you got it. You know what I'm saying? In like, a particular is, landscape, because um, you know, so so one just at the the most basic sense when I think about creators and we talk a lot about the creator economy, I sort of draw conjure up these visuals of sort of a, a very traditional old school marketplace, right? So it's who has who's who are the makers of the goods, right? The things that are for sale, and then a lot of us are setting up. Um, the actual marketplaces themselves, right? We're, we're pitching the tent, we're inviting the folks to come into the market, but we actually don't make the things that are there. Some, some of them we do, right? We might have some of our own dedicated owned and operated stands, but often we're inviting folks to come in. And that whole idea of a marketplace is about a value exchange, right? And so you can be on both sides of that. You can be the buyer and the seller. And I think we're probably, and I, and I use that analogy because I think we're existing in what is the most dynamic and fast moving marketplace ever um, when we think about the creator, the creator economy. Um, we're in a really interesting position with, with Laugh Out Loud and, and with Heartbeat because 
We have a super creator, right, who has a lot of leverage in the marketplace over how his individual IP and how his company's IP um, travels throughout the universe, how he can protect it, how it can be attributed to him. A big part of that, right, is through platforms like Instagram, where he's, you know, one of the, the leading social media influencers. And so you have this semi-direct connection to your audience, but it is still sort of mediated, right, by Instagram. Um, and so with that influence that you build in these marketplaces, right, the sort of like bigger demand, the longer the line is in front of your stand, that stand still sits in a tent that's owned by someone else, right? And so I think that the tent owner, right, the Instagrams of the world and the Facebooks and the artsies and the fibers all just have to think about what's the value for everyone, right? Like there's a reason why you want to keep certain things if, if you're the tent owner, because you have overhead. You don't have the, the the other things to think about if you're just walking in and setting up. You're paying for the tent versus just the stand. And so I think for me, we're constantly trying to figure out how to provide value. So we're selling content to third parties. We sell content to Netflix. We sell content to NBCU. We buy content from creators. We distribute content on our own platforms. We have a um, an OTT CTV connected distribution platform that reaches over 100 million households across the U.S. And so our value exchange is different in each one of those um, touch points. But what is consistent is that we have to be providing value and creating value all the time. And at the end of it, I believe what creators want is really simple, right? We want credit for our, for our, for our work and, and creators want credit. They want to be seen. It's, you know, we, we straddle the line between content, sort of um, art and science between commerce and creativity. And so there's this idea of like, if you are a maker, you want to be acknowledged for the wares that you make. But the other side is you want participation, right? And where there is upside financially, you want in. And to me, those are the governing principles. And, it, and, and the manifestation changes depending on where you're sitting in that marketplace. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, honestly, monetization is, is a part of the, the crust of making sure people get a fair value in exchange for the time and effort that they're putting against this. You know, as I always said, content's king, but distribution's King Kong. But in the middle, there's this exchange of value. And so as I think about, you know, the, the evolving business model, Stephen, I'd love to get your perspective on really some of the ways that creators have shifted the way businesses are now telling their brand narrative, specifically based on the marketplace that you're dealing with, you know, in the edutainment um, storytelling, you know, market where you're focusing on both children and parents, how does this actually come to life in, in, in the marketplace that you're dealing with? So I, I feel this is such an important question because the reality is there are over 50 million creators estimated globally. And I feel like it really breaks down to like two different types of buckets. You have professional individual creators and that's, you know, a really small percentage. And then there's probably these amateur individual creators. And that's, you know, kind of the 95 plus percent. And when you think about it across the board, you know, there are so many different types of creators that want to share either what they learn, what they make, and they want to get paid. And this is really where, you know, kind of small business generation is coming from. You know, in addition to Encantos, I also sit on the board of an influencer marketing agency called Whaler. And that is actually where you have an incredible amount 
of you know influencers being more of the professional type of content creators. But when you think about it, there are now all these new tools and all these new ways for creators to get compensated. There is engagement-based payouts. There is tipping. There are ways to actually get royalties. So you're finding creators really start to take control of hey, we're the ones creating it. We actually have the audience. And for advertisers, there's so few places that they can actually really engage with an audience authentically. So they're looking to these creators. And sure, maybe influencer was like a dirty term maybe a decade ago. That's not the case anymore. The creator economy is here and it's not going away. So I think brands are now actually trying to figure out how do we authentically engage with these creators and they have the power. And especially when you think about who are the most actively engaged, it's usually creators of color. And so we need to make sure that these creators actually get paid, not just get used, whether there's the new dance craze or whatever, whatever it is being created by black and brown creators, you know, you actually want to see them compensated for their work. You know, it's an interesting, you know, point. I think that this is really the, where the attribution and, and the, the art meets science. I think that you mentioned that, Ty, already. And there's this notion that, you know, my, my team is actually involved in a lot of this thing called creative meta data tagging, which is one of the first solutions that the industry really enables businesses to optimize campaign performance and drive business results based on the creative attribution data. And so one of the things that I think I believe we were talking about before is, Everett, I'd love to hear about some of your experiences. Um, and obviously, we'd love to get some constructive feedback on well, which platforms have been best for that and which ones actually potentially could improve. And I'm sure that Sharon, you could probably comment on this 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 piece as well because you're really focusing on. And I'll, like, I'll shout out to to your platform. My father-in-law is an artist; he's a painter, and so having a marketplace where you're focusing on this notion of other fine arts. Everybody talks about dancing and the music and the other things, but there's other aspects of intellectual property that need to be protected. And so, just um, I, I love what you all are doing, and love to get your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, whew. Well, here's the thing. I, I come from an interesting point of view because on one side, uh, it's kind of like B2B, B2C with Facebook and Instagram, right? Like on one side, I am a CMO. I'm running a company that, you know, spends a lot of money on the ad platform uh, of Facebook and Instagram and other platforms. But on the other side, I am a creator myself. Uh, you know, I've worked with Whaler. I've worked with different agencies as a digital influencer creating content for all tons of brands. And I think for me, the biggest gripe that I've had with, and I've seen a lot of other um, creators of color have the same issue is the lack of transparency. Um, we don't really know how valuable we are to Facebook and Instagram. It's one thing it's like, okay, we're creating all this content. We're getting all this, this engagement. You guys are using us in your feeds and discovery, keeping people hooked and attached to the app, but we don't have any attribution. We don't have any type of payment or compensation for that. So just organically outside of influencer relationships with brands paying me to do this, I know what I'm getting for brands. And I'm like, okay, if I'm getting this much, who knows how valuable I am to a Facebook and Instagram. And to see some of the things that I've experienced as a creator of not having that level of transparency of my value to the platform and having a way to monetize that um, although I have seen the thing with IG videos trying to help people, you know, monetize that, but I still think that's, that's so small in comparison to the value that we're driving, especially creators of color. And then also 
I've seen a change in the level of engagement that you're able to receive on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, where there seems to be very intentional. <laughs> I'm trying to frame this the right way. It's, it seems very intentional trying to curb the engagement of creators. I've seen so many creators of color complaining about this, where they see that you know, something that they're trying to do to make money, you know, this is the thing that they're making money and to see that Facebook and Instagram is curbing that engagement or they're continuing year after year after year, getting less and less organic engagement. And also that is impacting the relationships that we have with brands, right? Like brands. In, in terms of, we understand that, look, the influencer creator, creator agents, uh, uh, market is huge is a multi-billion dollar business. These these funds are going straight to directors. They're not going into Facebook and Instagram's advertising. They're going into the hands directly into creators. And to see that content be limited, and it seems like it's being limited intentionally, I think is very, very hurtful to creators, especially creators of color, where a lot of us don't come from generational wealth. This is our first time and ability to actually be able to make money and support our families. And to see that be feel like you know from our you know vantage point content being limited not having transparency and why things are, are are picking up engagement other things aren't i think is is some of the biggest gripes around the the creator community on platforms like facebook and instagram i think it's a good point i'll respond just for a second and then i'd love to hear your thoughts on this you know sharon and others is that the creative metadata net metadata tagging that i was talking about again I'm sort of an ad tech geek. And so the idea is to make sure that to your point, those that are actually the ones that are one, the inception of the concepts and that the dis distribution of these things that are actually having an impact still actually allowed those individuals where you should be fairly compensated for the intellectual property that you're putting out there. And so while it may seem intentional because of the size of the platform, and we're talking about this being a global platform, I would say that there's a tremendous amount of technology that's behind this and that we're trying to stay focused on making sure that those that are interested in this content get exposure to it. But I also believe that, you know, we certainly aren't trying to get in the middle of those transactions and take money away from those that are deservedly supposed to receive it. It's something that we've, we've heard now a number of times. This isn't the first time I've heard it, but I would love to be able to actually engage with a, a broader creator community to ensure that we're actually getting the feedback that we're looking at and looking at very specific cases against to here's what we used to do. Here's actually how it got impacted because we've had this thing for years. I've not only been at Facebook about, you know, five and a half years when we prioritize friend content over business content, many businesses were impacted by that as well. We had to actually then bring businesses to the table to say, here's how we should be thinking about leveraging our content, leveraging your content on our platform. And I welcome the opportunity to be able to actually get that feedback because that's the last thing that we want to do. We want to be the place where, you know, and I, we always overuse this example where somebody like my dear friend, Derek Jones, better known as D nice can have an idea and then build a business on top of that by galvanizing individuals, leveraging the platform. Now, some of his business is on platform and some of his business is off platform. Being able to take that celebrity and then do something positive with it is kind of where we sit because we certainly aren't looking to impact individuals because if individuals are hurt, if businesses are hurt on our platform, specifically small businesses, which is 65, 70% of actually the revenue that we actually claim as a business, it isn't just the big ones that everybody recognizes, it's the small businesses. And if we can decrease that distance between ideation and execution, then we're doing our job. 
And if we aren't, then we don't deserve to have that content. That's what yeah. I would say. Yeah, so, I think the be nice thing was very convenient because at the time, Facebook was very focused from a product standpoint on Instagram lives, right? That, like right now, Reels is the focus. Be nice, awesome dude, super talented, but it was a, a amalgamation of things of the pandemic. Plus, IG Live was something that you guys were very much focused on at the time. So it was advantageous. You know, right now it's advantageous for those who want to create Reels, right? And so right. I hear you and I see that, but I also see when I do you know, uh, content for a brand, I see the engagement levels drastically different every time that I, I do something for a brand and the brands are seeing this and they're, they're less bullish on paying creators. And also they're forcing, they're forcing the content to have to be promoted. And those dollars are going back into Facebook. So I think it's a very clever, but I just wanted to point it out. I think it's an important. I I do think just if I could, that's why I think the the idea of this marketplace, right? Like literally thinking about the visual marketplace and and the value exchange that has to happen because I fully see one as a Facebook alum, but also sitting in a a much smaller entity now that is both distributing content on behalf of creators, doing deals, co-creation deals with creators, deals with brands and creators at the table. So if I am putting on my COO hat that says, let's be very bottom line focused, I'm trying to capture EBITDA, I'm trying to scale, right? I'm trying to build a business that has impacts globally that that employs as many people as possible right that has that, that has some meaning at the same time like there is 100% the the ability to drive a double a bottom line and so negotiations we always say right should never be you can't win a negotiation if someone loses it then you've lost because you've got like a sour partner on the other end and ultimately they're going to disrupt the deal and so i think you know, one of the things with creators and the same for publishers, right? Like we saw the the publishing side of our business that monetizes content that we put across these platforms has definitely been hit, right? By the algorithmic changes, by a lot of this. And so, and then, and and what do we say? We say, hey, we have to diversify, right? We can't be over-reliant on any one platform. On the flip side of that, when we are working with brands and they're looking for consistent measurement, right? When they're looking for scale, these platforms become integral into being able to deliver that. So I think it's a yes and proposition, right? And I think that's where, like, if we're really looking for creators and these, you know, large platforms like Instagram, like Artsy, like Fiverr, I think it has to be that, um, you know, that value has to constantly be calibrated because I do think that the set it and forget it or, hey, we have an initiative. This is the new product that we're launching. We're going to give you some money for this or we're going to highlight these initiatives. And then the minute that the products at scale, then the, the, the creators are deprioritizing the ecosystem. That doesn't work. At the same time saying, OK, as a creator, I have to I'm going to see everything under the hood we won't get anything there either because that's not a realistic demand in my mind. Right. So to my, my, to your point, how do you allow creators to build their livelihoods and their legacies via these platforms while still seeing return? And most of these major platforms have plenty room in the margin area, right. To, to tweak and, and provide a meaningful income streams to provide meaningful visibility um, and, and still accomplish everything. But I, but I do think it is that calibration of what that value exchange and a realistic look at the what's in it for me on both sides. 
Yeah. And I think, so I think the answer to all of that is probably just more transparency, right? And what's interesting is where I sit, I, I run an agency where we are serving small businesses as well as large businesses. And what we see is, especially from in the creator space, so we're running campaigns now for certain brands where we are promoting their influencer content. And as I'm hearing from you guys, what's interesting sometimes is the amount of money that's being spent to just promote the content sometimes is more than what the influencer got paid. And that is probably unfortunate and not ideal. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that as a user or as an outsider, we will log in one day and IGTV that used to work so well suddenly doesn't anymore or reels tomorrow might not be the hottest thing. There's no you know, there's no brief that we get. There's no warning that you guys are sending us. And we don't expect that as like an outsider. But I think because there's that lack of transparency of when will the algorithm change? Why is it changing? How do businesses pivot to keep winning on Facebook and Instagram? That's causing this cycle of, well, we just got to put pump more money in because that's all we know, right? We know if we promote our content, we're going to get more engagement. The creator themselves are like, I got paid, whatever. 500, 5,000, 500,000, whatever it was they got paid. I got paid to do this job and I'm failing at this job because I have no control over how my audience is going to respond to my content. I'm being, I'm getting held to certain KPIs, right? I feel the pressure of having to make this brand partnership work and I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. And so there's that happening. And I think on the other side of it, what's interesting is because I work at Fiverr, a lot of what we do is to always kind of um, be more transparent with analytics. And so a lot of like the features on the platform allow the sellers and the buyers themselves to know exactly what's happening, right? Like how many impressions, how many views are your gigs getting? How many clicks have you gotten today? What actually then resulted into an order or revenue? And having just having that information, we see that allow people to make better decisions about their own content, their own um, the way that they're describing the services that they're providing, the way that they are um, interacting with each other. And I see some of that already. I mean, definitely like there are insights and analytics and creator studio and other features on, on, on Facebook and Instagram. But I just, I think that the more we can have that out in the public, um, the more we can resolve some of these imbalances in the ecosystem. I, I love that. Um, Steven, you want to comment on that as well, please? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would love to, you know, bring it real and put the creator at the center, right? Because what you're seeing is the next evolution of the creator economy. And so I could not agree more, if, you know, Sharon, you know, obviously, you know, what Fiverr is doing, you know, Artsy, Everett, you know, your whole piece. I think what you're seeing is there is going to be a new crop of creator platforms that are going to super serve creators. You know, I'll give you a real world example. You know, we are all about connecting creators that we call story teachers with kids to help them learn. So there are so many teachers that are looking for that, call it niche audience of kids, you know, and their parents, but really it's a safe place for kids. But where can teachers go that they actually have this audience, but more importantly, that they actually have a place where they're going to see the engagement. They're going to have something that is going to be bespoke to what they're trying to do, which is about learning efficacy. How do you actually have things that are going to be tailored for what that creator is looking to do? And how do they get paid? You know, the whole idea that 
all the big platforms have all the data and you're not going to know the latest build, the latest feature, they're going to change it on a dime. I feel like you're going to see new, you know, I don't want to call them niche creator platforms, but I think you're going to see the verticalization of the creator economy. And that's where creators that are looking to do a specific thing are going to go just like Fiverr, just like Artsy. And so when you think about that teacher or that artist or that writer, or, you know, someone that has an idea and they want to share, for example, black history, think about what is out there for black history. You know, there's nothing, right? You know, kids go to school, they learn about slavery, MLK and Obama. That's it. And don't even get me started on Latino history because there is none, even though half this country was Mexico. So think about creators, teachers, story teachers that want to help kids learn this. That is the democratization, the diversifying and personalizing of learning, but it's going to be on a very specific platform like in Encantos, or you're going to find different ways that those creators want to get the data and the compensation. And I feel like they will find a way to kind of coexist where you might, you know, promote it on Instagram, you might put it on Facebook, but then you're going to drive it to those niche creator platforms. So, so I have a question about that. One, it's one very powerful statements from each of you. It starts to think about allyship and, and being strength in numbers, right? And so we start thinking through, you know, there was a recent article, uh, our friend, Stephen Travis, Montague and others um, that had the collective around Black-owned media and, 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 and certainly things like of that nature. How do we think about whether it be, you know, recommendations for platforms like ours that are looking at the democratization of storytelling and saying, you know, all the constructive feedback, um, uh, not, not, not necessarily withstanding or, or discounting it, but how do we actually focus on super serving the creator economy or the small business economy? It is difficult, and I work here, <laughs> to navigate this place. You know what I mean? And so as I think through that, I also think there's, there's, a, there's power in the collective. And if we're saying, whether it be something like Chief, um, Sharon, and you know the initiative that you've, you, know, you founded around you know, focusing on how do we actually get individuals to the next level and that there's, there's, there's camaraderie and power in the collective conversation around this. Any one of you could comment on this, but I, I am really trying to think through, and I've said this before, that ally is a verb, a constant set of actions, not beliefs. So I can't stand here and say that I'm, I'm a focus on being an ally to the creator economy and not take the constructive feedback that we've gotten and, and not do anything about it. So the question is, what are the next steps as we start thinking through the creators that are on this call and what should they do? Absolutely. And I just want to say one thing about Chief. So I can't take credit for founding Chief because it's not my baby, but I'm a founding member of Chief. Well, there so you I'm go. The first okay. people I just promoted you. you. It's all good. I would love to be one of you know, the person that thought of this idea. But what's interesting about places like Chief, which is a it's a it's a private member organization for women that are in the VP level and above, is that when Chief started about just two and a half or three years ago, this didn't exist. Like there actually wasn't an organization already established to help women that were at the senior levels of their career to get ahead, right? So it was an innovative concept and that was only just a couple of years ago. And so I say that because as someone who got this random phone call from literally someone who had probably found me on LinkedIn to say, hey, we have this thing, we're starting it. We don't even have a website yet. We'd love for you to be a part of it. I didn't even need to have proof that this existed. I was like, I'm in. This idea is so different and so unique. Just the idea of having a place just for women to succeed, to succeed in a corporate atmosphere was so unique and so needed to where I was and where I am right now in my career that I was willing to just dive in and join right away. 
um, and be a part of this. And I, I say that because I think there are so many opportunities for us to create these communities where it's people coming together to both mentor one another, learn from each other, and to share their own experiences so that we can um, have a better way to answer a difficult question in a meeting, a better way to negotiate the right level of salary, right? A better way to um, even know how to get to the next level. Like one of my next career moves I'm hoping for myself is to become a board member. And a lot of the women in chief are already board members, but there's honestly nobody in my own direct network. My parents are immigrants. I don't have people in my own personal space that actually are doing this right now. So how do we create these um, communities where we can literally not just be allies, but to even just share just something as simple as, you know, this is how I plan my day today. You know, um, these are five tips that I know of, of, of how to be more productive, because I think especially in communities, people with color, there's a lot of us are the first ones to to, to do the thing that we're doing now. First ones to go to college, first ones to get a graduate degree, first ones to start a company in this country. Um, and I think it's really important um, for, for these things to exist. Really important. Uh, Everett, do you want to jump in? You yeah, something? first of all, I want to shout out the Baby Yoda and Sharon's background. I don't know who created that, but it's the cutest <laughs> thing ever. Shout out to the Mandalorian. I love it. Thank you. It's my seven-year-old who you probably also heard crying earlier. So he brings some good and some bad. Yeah, let's Greater economy. Put him to work. Exactly. Get him on artsy. So, you know, I was really inspired by the things you were saying, Sharon, and it really made me think about the reason I came to artsy, the work that we're doing at artsy. And, you know, one of the things that really inspired me to join Artsy is because I think purchasing art is one of the most beautiful things that you can do. Because when you purchase art, not only are you directly supporting a creative, but a lot of times that creative is represented by gallery. So you're supporting a small business. And then also as someone who is a collector, you're getting something that is an investment for you and something that can be enjoyed or, or passed down for generations. So I see buying art as something that is that everybody wins situation. The problem is, is that a lot of people of color, uh, a lot of marginalized communities have not been able to play a part um, in, that, in that enjoyment. And so that's one of the things that brought me to Artsy. And uh, to answer your question, Alvin, I think the two things really to make a change to support both the B2B side and the B2C side of the business is one, genuine empathy and intention, right? And you see a lot of people who did a lot of stuff last year for Black Lives Matter and et cetera, et cetera. And this summer, crickets, right? Because it wasn't real gen genuine empathy and intention. It was just like, we're gonna, we're gonna focus on this moment. And I see a bunch of brands that are just doing, you know, Black History Month because that's what they feel like they have to do. It's not because they genuinely care about Black people. Again, because they don't genuinely care about Black people. I will say it to the roof. So at Artsy, I was very intentional and I saw issues within our organization. Number one was really being able to support creatives of color, artists of color. And, you know, I really leveraged the team, leveraged our marketplace, our editorial, how we were curating the site, the coverage we had, our social media to uh, represent and promote artists, more artists of color and marginalized groups and art businesses who have like traditionally been underserved by the art world. And we also, from a technological standpoint, completely reviewed our recommendation algorithm, something that I would love Instagram to do. Uh, we reviewed those recommendation algorithms to make sure that we were really representing the diversity in our marketplace 
and we had targets and metrics for accountability. Doing that, now our top most in-demand artist list that used to be mostly white male are 65% are black artists, 75% are people of color, and 45% self-identify as women. In a market that has been generally driven by white male artists, by changing these things, we have been able to create so many more opportunities for these artists of color. And because of the democratization of our platform provided access to more uh, collectors from all different backgrounds and then also supporting more businesses. Our business grew 150% last year by supporting more diverse people. And we're up on that this year. So all I, all I say is genuine empathy and intention and you'll see the fruits of that labor. Ty, you wanna jump in on that? One is very powerful, thank you there's not much I can say to what Everett said because he captured everything. I, I just want to echo because, you know, to the point that allyship is a verb, you, we always say, oh, if you see something, say something, right? Share something. No, if you see something, do something. And it should be relative to the scale of impact that your organization can have, right? Like what I love about what you, the, the, the case study that you just laid out was that this was needle moving to the platform. This was revenue generating for artists on this platform at scale. It actually changed the dynamics. I mean, you look at platforms like the Instagrams, the Facebooks of the world, just inexhaustible hard to, to, to rein in often, right? But almost an inexhaustible amount of resources, right? You've got the data. You actually know who's driving the performance there, right? And so to be able to get in to super serve those communities in a way that only, it should look like something that only an IG could do, that only a Facebook could do. We had a program recently. And, and, and one of the things I'll say is that because we, we get on these soapboxes, but every organization has a blind spot, right? Laugh Out Loud exists to keep the world laughing together, we pride ourselves we're a black owned business we half of our leadership senior leadership our our, our company actually is about 60% women right uh people who identify as women and at every rung there is racial and ethnic and and uh diversity we pride ourselves on that what was our blind spot there are not enough women on the screen in stand-up. It's a boys club. There are not enough women in the writer's room. So we said, you know what? We see something. We're going to do something. And so we launched this partnership called Women Right Now with Sundance Institute. And our goal was, we said, we started out saying we're going to make, we're going to discover three emerging Black women screenwriters, and we're going to make films, and we're going to help them make films. But then we said, that would actually serve us. How do we serve them? So we switched the mission. We said, you know what? We're looking to launch the careers of three Black women screenwriters. And so what did we have to do then? We partnered with Sundance Institute because we needed to partner with a group who was able to support these creators in a meaningful way. We went out and said, we're going to spend more than we ever would on short films in this context because we want to make sure that they have standout pieces. We want to make sure that these get distributed. We're going to bring named actresses in to direct these projects because we want it to be visibility. We want, don't want these to be trees that fall in the forest. We're going to exhibit them at Sundance. We're going to distribute them across our network, and then we're going to give them first look deals. We are committed to seeing them succeed. That's what it looks like for us, right? Like we have a very different sort of like, you know, revenue profile and, 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 and a very different sort of like resourcing than some of the folks on this team. I think that we should be maxing out in support of the folks who are driving our platforms and driving our businesses, not because it's the right thing to do, because sure, it's the right thing to do. But I think the most powerful thing about whatever it says is 
that's where the ROI is. This is about future-proofing your business. The By the year 2050, there, white folks will be in the minority in this country, right? Black and brown people are the global majority. People of color are the global majority already. This is just serving the world. If you want to have a truly global business that scales with a truly global creator base, I think we just have to do things differently, effective immediately. This is um, one powerful, powerful statement. Um, big shout out. And, and as a girl dad myself, I salute you for the work that you're doing. Um, let me throw to you, Stephen, and then we will take a few questions um, from our virtual audience to make sure that they get some of their questions addressed by, by you subject matter experts. But go ahead, right. Stephen. Girl dad as well. I echo that, Ty. So thank you for that. Um, and, you know, I could not agree more with Everett. I mean, you know, that black uh, Instagram post, you, you know, like that. That is not impact. That's not change, right? Look at the leadership. Look at the C-suite. And as you know, many of you may know, I've been doing a spotlight series on diverse talent, you know, for you know, eighteen months now. And so the whole idea that there's no talent out there is just bullshit. Uh, so we got to have real talk about that. Um, but I feel like part of the real talk is also let's talk about the tools, right? The reality is creators just want to create. And a dear friend of mine, Kruti uh, Patel, who is the chief product officer at Etsy, another great creator platform, they talk about how the majority of their creators, their makers, they just want to make stuff, but they don't want to deal with the admin. They don't want to deal with the marketing, all the business, the supply chain, all that other stuff is actually the hard work that they need to do. And so, you know, fun facts, this is about education I and mean, we're an ed tech company. So we're all about being lifelong learners, but do people even know that if you build your website on Squarespace or Wix, you're actually going to get downranked in Google search, in the Facebook algorithm? You know, those are things that they don't tell creators. So there's a whole part of the technology side of this that we really do need to educate creators on and to provide more transparency so they can be successful, so they could find ways to actually capture the audience, so they could find ways to better engage but a lot of folks, they just don't know. And there's, you know, I mean, just an incredible amount of resources at Facebook. They're providing all these tools for small businesses, but there still has to be a better way to kind of get the word out. Because if you're a creator and you're trying to actually make a living on this, it is critical that you just not focus on the, you know, show part of show business. You have to focus on the business. And unfortunately, you know, being in a data-driven technology world, you have to understand the ad tech part the MarTech part. And that's the kind of stuff that's, you know, it might be gobbledygook, but we have to find a way to better educate creators on that side of the, uh, of the house. It's a really important piece. I think that this is where the building blocks where not only diversity being a business imperative, but the building blocks of these things, access to this information has got to be far more pervasive. We can't say that we're in the business of democratizing storytelling and this industry and what have you, and then not give people the tools and then make some of these business decisions themselves. It, it's it's very archaic to then navigate it, and you know many of you have done really really well with this, and so um, a lot of this was making sure that we're actually being able to showcase the great work um, and decisions that you've made already. I think that Sharon, you mentioned this out. Like sometimes it's just about getting a collective together and say, here's some FAQs that you should just know. And so as I think about this, I want to go to a couple of uh, questions from the audience. Um, one from I believe Anthony Perez, and a lot of this I think is predicated on the fact that. All of us are sitting in North America, but running global businesses. And a lot of the question was, how do you approach to finding and identifying influencers or creators in international markets? How do brands know what content will resonate with guests based on the markets? Anyone can um, address that. And then we'll try to maybe have one or two of you answer it, and then we'll go to the next one, if you wouldn't mind. I think, Why don't we um, go with you, Sharon? I'll start. 
start. Um, so typically, if a brand is already distributing in international markets, a best practice for finding creators would be to find creators and influencers that have an audience that's similar to the audience that the product and the service would be relevant to, right? Because this is all about authenticity. So the creator, him or herself, should, should be the type of person that would even use your product. But then uh, in addition to that, the people that they can speak to and that they, they, can, that they influence would also fit that ideal demographic. Yeah, I can, I can speak to this a little bit. So um, artsy, it's, it's a little bit different, but I can just tell you about my, my experience in general. It's like, number one, is like there are so many different agencies, different software platforms that literally excel in finding uh, influencer talent. Whaler is one of them. I think they might be more uh, national, but not sure. But there's a lot of organizations in, in, in technology to use that, that a lot of brands and organizations use because they may not have that expertise in-house. Um, number two is when identifying influencers, this is where diversity really comes into play. And I tell people all the time that diversity is like a large spectrum. It's not just color. It's about people who understand, uh, you know, people from different areas, different countries, things like that. That was like a tough lesson I had to learn as a CMO, as, as a young CMO years ago, was that, you know, there's certain things that will fly in this country and that won't fly in that country. So I think it's really important to make sure that you have expertise, whether it's through software or an agency. And then number two, it's having actual diverse talent on your team that has the expertise and know what type of content is going to engage one place and not the other. You guys know that at Facebook, something that is going to fly on, you know, in the U.S. is not going to necessarily fly in Japan, you know. And so having that expertise and that knowledge and being committed to knowing, like not just going out there and just doing whatever, but actually being committed to learning, I think is super, super important. But I think that would probably be my answer for that. Hopefully that answers. You know, it does. It's really great. I think it's, you know, it builds off your point about having empathy. It's also having respect for the market that you're going after. If you respect them well enough, then you understand the cultural nuances. It isn't just about language. It is a cultural notion, right? You know, black, you know, Latin, brown, what have you. These things aren't monolithic. The idea is that, the, that one approach won't fit all this. Cognitive diversity. There's a ton of different forms of diversity that are really important. You know, each of us represent our own constituencies in, in, in the ways that we think and how we approach problem solving. And so I think it's really, really important. Great answers. Now, let me direct uh, the next question to you, Stephen. You mentioned a lot about ad tech and ed tech and things of that nature. Question from uh, our, our audience was, what do you suggest creators have at the ready from a, from a, a, a an, I'll call it metrics perspective as they start to position themselves to brands? What are some of the ones that you think about? You think about your dashboard. What would you put in your hip pocket and say, here are the four or five things that, that you should just know about your brand as you're building your business? Absolutely. I mean, so uh, before I became an entrepreneur uh, of an ed tech company, I was actually on the agency side. I ran the Walmart media business. I ran actually all the multicultural media business as well. So the largest buyer of Black, Hispanic, Asian um, media across Procter, Kraft, Coke, Heineken, lots of big brands. And I can tell you firsthand, what they're looking for is data. So you as a creator, you need to lead with the data. And again, here is kind of the catch-22 because a lot of platforms don't provide a lot of that data. So there has to be a way that you are finding ways to kind of capture it. So a couple of things, you need to know your audience. How do you actually break down that audience? That's always going to be the first question. 
And I think it's a fallacy to, to just think that, oh, I need to have, you know, millions and millions of, you know, kind of viewers. There's a difference between having, you know, very large audience, but very little engagement versus, hey, I have a really, you know, maybe small niche audience of 2000 people, but they are actively engaged. They follow me. They're, you know, kind of retweeting me. They're asking me questions. I have a community. So I think it's understanding where do you fit on that spectrum? Is it, you know, kind of wide? Or is it truly deep? And that depth versus breadth question around audience is very important. I think the second one is really understanding, you know, this notion of retention and how do you kind of maintain that? Because you could have a flash in the pan, you have something go viral and it just pops. But ultimately, you know, folks are looking to kind of build with a creator or an influencer over a period of time. And so how do you actually bring that audience with you? So there are lots of different ways to measure retention metrics. Um, and then the third is, you know, truly, how do you have, you know, kind of um, all the qualitative things around the audience? How are you providing insights into, you know, their buyer behavior, their demographics, right? I mean, understanding that a creator is going to have a following and that you actually understand that audience and that following, that's where the authenticity is going to come from. And if you know that, you know, there's an X percent mix between women and men, you know, X percent black, Hispanic, Asian, what have you, you know, understanding, you know, kind of all the psychographics, you know, what other products that they actually buy, what other brands do they like, you know, think about a brand neighborhood, right? Like if you're trying to do something for Gillette, you know, what are other brands that you as a creator, you know, other brands that would want to be a part of that neighborhood? So there's a lot of different tools out there. And certainly I think Facebook has, you know, just an incredible amount of resources. They have the Facebook Elevate program. There's a lot of, you know, kind of um, playbooks that, you know, a, large, uh, a lot of the large uh, platforms provide, but definitely owning your audience is the most important thing that you could actually do as a creator. That's really super helpful. Um, thank you for that. Ty, the next question is going to be for you. And I start to think through, um, is there a way for artists to see like a collective of the best performing work that you're putting out there? Now, I know it's hard to, to determine, but I think that the, the question was in the spirit of if you're focusing on comedy, not the only genre, let's just use that as, as maybe a way to simplify the question. How would you give advice to individuals that are, that are focused on your same genre of what's the type of work that they should be investing their time and energy into? And it's a broad question, but I'd love yeah. to get your perspective on this, given the celebrity that you deal with, but also a tremendous amount of up and coming talent. Yeah, you know, and and I and if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's about sort of how, depending on what meets you, and you sort of get discovered, right, and and get distributed, yes. and and Correct. yeah. So I'll piggyback on you know what Steve was saying because as, as he said, if you're if you're going to a brand, then you're going to need to lead with some sort of qualification about you know, your ex, your expertise as it pertains to reach resonance or revenue, right? That's what they're going to be interested in. All the metrics kind of lead back to how many people do you have, how deeply are people invested in what it is that you do, and then, and then can you convert them? You may not know all of that, but if you could tell your story in that context, great. And so even though we just want to create, if you're a creator who wants to work with brands, you kind of have to understand their lexicon a bit. Likewise, if you're a creator who's looking to do what you're doing on a bigger scale, it is imperative that you study the types of companies that you'd want to see your work distributed on or, or partnered with. And I say that because every different type of company has a different feeder and discovery pipeline, right? So if you, you know, want to make a movie and get it on Netflix, then it behooves you to understand how Netflix greenlights, where they're, who their executives call to find things, but also 
they have a lot of programs that are, you know, entry level to, you know, hey, submit a script, hey, come to a workshop. Same with us, right? Like we don't take unsolicited scripts, but we've got a, this program going on with Sundance right now. We're always looking to find folks on social media. We, um, you know, have a ton of sketch programs and entry level writers rooms. We're doing a program with Howard University in the fall um, for for writer for student writers. So. It, there, while it would be great to say, just go out, create and put it out there, your path is going to be faster and a lot more directed if you really study the commerce behind, you know, on the other side of that and the industries on the other side and who the decision makers are. It's no one size fits all, but there are specific feeders for every place you want to be. So you just have to dig in. That's completely um, understandable. I, I think that, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this is everybody's looking for a success formula. And there are times that the answer is, I don't really know, right? It's about being able to try and iterate, right? And so it's iterate and then fix, iterate and fix. And so as I think through this, you know, um, you know, every art is one of those like unifying things where like, I, I, I love art, but I can't tell you exactly what I like until I look at something, right? Do I like charcoals? Do I like canvas? And like, I don't know. I just, put it in front of me and I'll tell you if I like it. And so it becomes an interesting thing as people, we talk about this notion of discovery economy and putting things in front of people to then allow them to discover what they may like that they weren't necessarily seeking. So how do we think through that? Um, how do we think through that in, in your world of art where this is, it's so diverse in terms of what is uh, quality and things that actually move you? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. For all the crap I may have gave, given, like Facebook and Instagram earlier, I've been very, very impressed by the algorithm of showing things that you may particularly be interested in. Like if you're in sports, you're going to get a lot of amazing sports content. That's actually a shout out. Did I get a shout out? Did we get a you, shout did out? Get a, you did get a shout out. Okay. Um, okay. And that has gone into a lot of my thinking in terms of how do we serve our collectors, which ultimately serve our creators, right? If people are going onto our platform and are not getting a personalized experience or seeing things that they're gonna necessarily be interested in, right? Then that's only gonna hurt our creators. And so I've been inspired by platforms like you guys and others in terms of how we really are building our personalization recommendations of not only supporting things that we know people are, like just know like they absolutely are going to like, but also creating ways to discover new artists. We are about expanding the art market the same way, you know, I don't like to see when like the same influencers keep getting, you know, the same deals. Like I want to see different people. And that's the same mindset that I have at Artsy is like, hey, like the, the beauty of someone that could be literally, no one knows who they are a few months ago. And then, you know, they get into curated into one Spotify playlist or one artsy collection, and then boom, they blow up. I don't think some of these organizations realize how much power we truly have to change the lives of people on our platform. And that is something that I take very seriously. And I keep in mind in everything that I do when I'm thinking about our, our recommendations, when I'm thinking about our product, when I'm thinking about how we're continuing to build our product, that's always at the forefront is how can I best serve the creators and put more food on their tables, support them and elevate them as much as possible. I love that. Can I just chime in Please. on that? Too? I was about to ask that, you to jump in. This is great. That Please. is That's so much how we think about our platform too. And I think going back to as a creator, how do you get noticed or, or, or how do I get discovered? I think 
one interesting thing that we do is it's very much like a, it's a matchmaking process, right? So all of us are kind of like on Viver, but all of our platforms, it's we have sellers, we have buyers, we're matching them based on needs, on skill sets, on experience, meaning positive or negative experience, because a lot of what we do is based on reviews and feedback. And so if you're a creator, I would encourage you to treat your own business in the same way. Every small win is a win that can get you to the next step. I mean, I consider myself a creator too with my podcast, right? We were, we had never had an ad sponsor in the beginning. Like we were just starting out. We got picked up by Huffington Post. We got picked up by um, Vanity Fair. We kind of got written up by other blogs. The whole Asian hate thing kind of manifested. Black Lives Matters manifested. So then we became much more relevant to the conversation. We took every single one of those little wins. They weren't money generating wins, but they were opportunities to showcase what we had to offer in a different way that became relevant to advertisers and to brand partners. And we got to then refine our content to be a bigger part of that conversation. And so for those of you that are on this webinar now asking these questions, I think it's the same thing, right? Like you might not always have the metrics of how many sales did your last post make, but you're, you've got a pretty good idea though of how many people may have responded to that and what's working well so that you can just keep iterating on that. And I encourage you to keep doing that because these platforms and these algorithms are going to keep changing to hopefully support you in that, but you have full control over how you present yourself and also how you can maintain that conversation with potential partners. I love it. Um, I, I think that we're, we're winding down here. This thing could go, which is I'm riffing on so many ideas. And so I, I think about, you know, giving you each the space to be able to give the folks that joined this call um, just one takeaway, you know, and your vision for the future regarding the creator economy. Some of this is embedded in many of the answers that you've given them thus far, but I'd love to, to sort of give the audience something to really dig into. And so why don't I start with you, Everett? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Bring back the chronological feet. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We don't try to handle that offline. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, but I think uh, what a lot of people have already said is just like what I said earlier is genuine empathy and intention for creators. That's what I want to see. Give creators the ability to have transparency in the value that they have. And, and to the creators who have been frustrated um, you know, with some of the changes and things, just keep at it. You, you guys are incredible. I want to say, just keep going. I know it's tough, but I, I just want to shout out to them. Awesome. Ty. Yeah. You know, I think for those of us who have platforms, um, just reiterating that there, there is no lose, lose by supporting creators, right? There's it's only more value creation. And so I think we need to sort of like, you know, open up the hood and be as supportive as possible. And not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it just makes good business sense. And on the flip side, I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, some of the limitations, but there's never been a better time, right, to be a creator. Um, it, sort of in the history of every economy, like there are so many tools, so many access points with all their imperfections. And so I would just say really lean in. We, we, we've discovered so many talents 
talent, so many opportunities, so many themes from just Instagram alone, right? And there are folks who take that platform really seriously and they leverage it to their full advantage and they tell stories in a way that's so uniquely differentiated that you wouldn't expect. So with all the limitations that are out there, I would say if you're a creator, really, really, really lean in because people are looking, you've never been more needed and, and there's never been more access. Thank you. Sharon? I think my key message would be just say yes, right? So whether you're a creator or you're a platform or you're an advertiser, be open to new opportunities and possibilities and know that you are changing people's lives individually, but that people are also changing your platform with their own, um, with their own impact too. So I think just quick story about my own um, experiences. I started off as a Fiverr seller selling services on Fiverr, built a digital marketing freelance collective from that experience, built that to a point where Fiverr was like, we like what you're doing. We're going to buy it. I didn't expect my gig to turn into someone acquiring my company, right? Like and Fiverr probably never really, I mean, I don't know, public company, whatever, but like, I'm sure they didn't actually think like, we're going to, we're, we're going to eventually do this one day. Like it all sort of organically happened. And it, became, it was because we just kept saying yes to each other. It just made sense. It was about creating bigger value. Um, and here we are today. So just say yes. Congratulations to that. Hermano, bring us home. So I can't say enough that the creator economy is truly going to be the driving force of businesses from here on forward. It is going to comprise the vast majority of the workforce of the future. So when you think about you know, where Gen Z and millennials are going, so this is not a fact. And what I would encourage every creator to do is truly think of yourselves as a business, as a brand. And how are you trying to make sure that you are going to have all the tools to run this creator as a business, as a brand? And that means knowing your audience. How do you really think of different ways to kind of um, have monetization? So the most you know, kind of value type of revenue is subscription revenue. So how are you working with platforms that are going to enable you to build your business, build your audience and build a subscription business specifically? And if you really think about that, that is going to be the future of creators, understanding how you can own your audience, own your IP, and certainly build that business. Very, very great suggestion from, from each of you. I think just uh, blessed to be a part of this conversation and sort of facilitate all the gems that you've given. I'll live one parting shot myself and that for all the creators that are out there listening is that your intentionality needs a target. And so when you come to sessions like this or you go to other events where you're actually trying to figure out how do I help um, build my business, I'm focusing on ideation. The idea is to be able to focus on decreasing that distance between ideation and execution and then maybe iteration. But each of those times you need to show up with a very specific goal and specific ask. It isn't just saying, help me with my business. What specifically do you need help with? And that will allow you to get to the next level. And so that's what I would... Uh, good advice that was given to me and hope you all enjoy the rest of your, your time. It's just wonderful to have this conversation and let's, let's, let's stay focused on this creator economy. Love y'all. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more content like this or to find out about Advertising Week's world-leading events, including Advertising Week Europe, returning to London this May, visit www.advertisingweek.com and follow us on social media.
chaptering, and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.